What's good, everybody? This episode of the podcast is sponsored by DistroKid. They are the go-to for digital music distribution and the easiest way for musicians to get your music onto Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube, and more. They offer unlimited uploads, and artists keep 100% of their earnings in stores 10 to 20 times faster than any other distributor. Fastest payouts. They help out with automatic splits, cover song clearance, and all kinds of other amazing tools and templates to help you get the most visibility for your releases. I dig this company and really appreciate their business model that offers more features than any other distributor at the most affordable price possible for solo musicians, bands, studio artists, DJs, and any other creators that are producing music in their home. And they also offer label services as well. They're distributing over a third of the world's digital music at this point. And the best part about DistroKid sponsoring the podcast is that they are offering Dan Cable Presents listeners 30% off your first year of membership, making their already affordable services even cheaper. Check out the link in the episode notes. I will also put it in my Instagram bio in the link tree. Click that link and it will give you 30% off your first year of service. Super stoked to have DistroKid sponsoring the podcast and can't thank them enough for their support of this thing. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Produce Row Cafe here in Portland, Oregon. This has become one of my favorite local hangs because they have free music every Wednesday night from 6 to 8 p.m. and Sunday afternoons 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. They are located in inner southeast Portland and not only do they offer free music on their their large patio setup, but they've also got a killer brunch menu from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturdays and Sundays. The French toast and the breakfast sandwich are lights out. And I can't really do much alcohol personally, but I love their Virgin Bloody Marys. And they've got some other mocktails for folks like me as well, as well as the, the real deal cocktails, mimosa flights and all the goods. So come on out for brunch or come out in the evening for the new warm weather cocktail menu featuring lots of fresh fruits and vegetables, tons of outdoor patio space, and good eats. Big thanks to Produce Row Cafe for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Let's do it. What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the program once again. If this is your first time listening, thanks for checking out the show. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Friday. And if you want to help support this thing in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so and that will help propel this thing into the tops of those itunes charts which will give it more visibility on the national and international levels helping strangers find the podcast great way to contribute to the growth and sustainability of this thing 
appreciate the hell out of all the folks that have already taken the time to do so. If you're not listening on Apple, you can click like, follow, subscribe, wherever you are listening from. The podcast is available on Spotify now. I've also been dropping some monthly playlists there every first of the month. So I'll put the links in the episode notes for those things as well as the Dan Cable Presents Mugs. Got a killer guest for this week's episode of the podcast, episode 268. Morgan Wade is on the show, and I am super stoked about this one. I've been listening to Morgan's debut album, Reckless, quite a bit since it came out back in March, and have been really looking forward to trying to link up a conversation with her. So it was really rad to have the opportunity to talk with Morgan about where her tunes come from and sobriety and her album Reckless. Got to give a big shout out to Ashley for helping me connect this thing with Morgan and putting up with my my relentless emails every few months to check in to see if it was a good time to chat with her. So we made it happen. If you're new to the programming here and you're listening because you're a Morgan Wade fan, super stoked to have you tuned in. If you dig what you hear, go back, check out some previous episodes. Every Friday, I post a new conversation with an artist or someone on the music business side of things. It's very spread out genre-wise and uh, yeah, usually talking about creative process and diving into the meaning of tunes at times and, and all kinds of other other tangents. Also, every other Wednesday, I Dig Records comes out in this feed, and that is a series in which my cousin and I do the deep dive on a record. Earlier this week, I released the Vince Staples self-titled episode, so that is now up as well. There's 24 of those just listening to tunes and uh, talking about specific tracks while we're... Uh, while we're listening so more of those to come every other wednesday as well gonna have some guest hosts coming up for that so i'm excited about that and if you're a portland local there is free music going on every wednesday night at produce row from 6 p.m to 8 p.m and every sunday from 1 p.m to 3 p.m these are outdoor patio shows they'll be covered for the fall which is great too so you can still experience some sort of outdoor music if you're not quite comfortable being indoors for performances yet this is uh this is a great place to see some music and grab some food we got singer songwriters playing down there djs let's see what what do we have on the calendar coming up on uh this coming sunday new victorian and wrong house are there a couple singer songwriters and on the 29th we've got a really great producer and beat maker, Elusive, will be doing a beat set there. September 1st, Deadly, great folk duo. And uh, members of Blitz and Trapper play in Deadly. And September 5th, Nathan Earl, lead singer of the Get Ahead. That's going to be a great show. So lots of good music going on every Wednesday and Sunday. Free music. All ages, bring the kids down. I'll put the Produce Row link in the episode notes as well so you can keep up with that calendar and their Instagram is pretty active as well about sharing who's playing from week to week on their stories. 
And with that, we're going to jump into my conversation with Morgan Wade. I cannot thank her enough for giving me some of her time. I think her songwriting is amazing and her lyrics just connected in a really heavy way with me when I first heard this record and I just can't seem to get enough of it. Sadler Vaden wrote, produced, and played on this record and he's a member of Jason Isbell's band, The 400 Units, so that's exciting just to be chatting with somebody that's even in the orbit of Isbell and Paul Ebersold also contributed some writing and production on this record and he's been a part of some huge productions including a lot of the Sister Hazel albums that I was really into for a while so it's just pretty wild man to just have any sort of degree of connection to some of these folks whether it's people I listened to growing up or it's someone that I'm listening to heavy currently right now and I, I know earlier in the year I, I talked about how important it was to just you know chase after the the people that are really making the music that is having a big impact on me and uh, I'm just super grateful and stoked that I reached out to Morgan and we were able to make this thing happen so we are going to get in to episode 268 it had been a while since I had done one of these old school sort of phone interviews so hopefully that aesthetic adds a little charm to the conversation that I had with Morgan I will put all of the links in the episode notes for Morgan Wade so you can keep up with her tour dates go buy some merch buy this vinyl record and we're gonna kick the episode off with what was my introduction to Morgan Wade's music and that is the opening track to her Reckless album It's called Wilder Days. Let's do the damn thing.
Super stoked to talk to you. I uh, I found your Reckless album on the on the day that it came out, and I fell for it right away. So it's uh, it's great to have the opportunity to chat with you and find out where this music comes from. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. I know you're pinned kind of as a as a country artist, but when I listened to the the record when it came out, I felt like it was just as much uh, a pop record as anything. Yeah, no, I, and I agree. I agree with you, one hundred percent. Did you uh, listen to a lot of pop music growing up? Yeah, I, I was. I listened to you know mainly pop music now too, as well. Um, I mean, as a kid, like the main thing I wanted to listen to was Elvis Presley. Um, I was. I was that that kid i i mean i mean since i was seven years old that was my uh that was my go-to elvis yeah is that something that's uh hung with you to this day oh yeah yeah 100 percent. um that's that's the only cover we do um my band and i right now like the only cover we have is, is suspicious minds so i would say it stuck with me <laughs> right on yeah right from the get-go though checking out the record just uh just recognize that the songwriting was just so damn good and the that wilder days track that kicks off reckless just gave me those tom petty vibes with those big choruses and some of those guitar tones on there well sadler baden would would be giving you a big hug right now he's the (laughs) biggest tom tom petty guy i know so he would love that uh is it important to you that you're not boxed into some sort of genre yeah because i i mean i i think that we're in a world now like and you're coming up on a time in music where genres don't really matter anymore you know you can go check out i mean if you just look at people's playlists it's pretty pretty diverse you can be listening to you know a pitbull song and then go listen to you know Miranda Lambert and then flop back to, you know, Tom Petty. And then, you know, it's just people are very diverse. And uh, I think that we, we should just be able to, if you like us, you hear a song and you like it, that should be how it is to me. Yeah, absolutely. Are you always consuming like a bunch of uh, music from all genres? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I've, I mean, like this morning I was just on a, I had a old '90s alternative rock playlist going while I was working out at the gym, and then you know, and I was also 
going back to Nelly's old stuff too. So <laughs> it's I, you never know. I'm like I'm very uh, you could tell how uh, all over the place somebody is, you know, with with their music. Yeah, for sure. I think that that definitely shines through and kind of the the different dynamics on the record too you know it doesn't all just sit at right. one gear one uh one kind of mood the whole time for sure for sure and i think that that was definitely something that was intriguing to me is like i got track to track and further into the album it, it kind of had these these curveballs here and there yeah Absolutely. Well, good. I did my job. <laughs> <laughs> when did you start playing music? You know, as as far back as I can remember, you know, um, early on in my childhood, I was writing songs and, you know, for myself at home, you know, not, not anything publicly. And then when I was 19, uh, I was a freshman in college and I got on Craigslist and formed a band um and <laughs> real safe for a 19 year old female to do <laughs> and uh what i just started playing it, it was just like my 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 family were they were like what you know because they were very confused as to like they were like well, what are you what are you doing i was like well i'm singing and they they were for them it was just kind of like where did this come from because it was just something i had kind of kept a secret um i'd always been pretty shy about it so, um, yeah, I was, I was 19 and I started playing just, you know, at the bars, basically anything I could get, you know, those, those early gigs, I look back at them and I laugh. I'm like, man, you know, you play for three hours and they, they might pay you. You can get some free beer, $10 <laughs> coupon for a pizza, you know, that, that kind of thing. And, and so, but I, I was just super grateful for the opportunity, you know, and I enjoyed it. Um, and we all got to pay our dues, but yeah, I was like, I've been doing this since I was 19. Yeah. And, uh, when you first picked up an instrument was your, did you immediately kind of gravitate towards writing songs of your own opposed to playing covers? Um, well, when I first picked up an instrument, I was, I was about, about nine or 10 maybe. And it was, uh classical violin and i hated every minute of it so i would not say i gravitated towards that <laughs> um i did that for like two years and i, I did not want to practice I, I just wanted to play guitar i wanted a guitar because i could write songs you know and um i finally you know was able to con my grandmother into to getting me a guitar and uh that I was, I, I guess I was about, I was about 12 then, 11 or 12 when I started playing the guitar. And, um, that, I, that was, that was fitting for me because I would go, you didn't have to tell me. It wasn't like my mom ever had to say, go practice, you know, any of that. I would, I would be off in my room, you know, playing my guitar to myself all the time. So the guitar, I did gravitate towards. Yeah, you were just kind of all in on it and immersed yourself in, in just playing music with your free time. Yeah, and, and you know, and I was writing songs. I, I mean, of course, you know, start as, as a kid, you know, I would learn some covers and stuff. And, I mean, I still like to do that to this day. Um, but it was mainly, you know, writing my own stuff. Yeah, did you always use uh, 
your lyric writing as uh, some sort of confessional and really writing from your personal point of view opposed to other people's or characters? Oh, yeah. And I, I, that, that was because it was just for me. You know, I wasn't sharing it with anybody. So I could go in there and kind of put out my thoughts and feelings, and it was never going to leave that room. So I think that was really good for me, which is why, you know, I write very honest lyrics today is because I'm just, that's the only way I know how to write. Yeah, there's definitely a, a rawness in the delivery of the lyrics and, and the <laughs> lyrics themselves that that cuts deep. And I think that vulnerability for me is the, the thing that usually taps in pretty heavy and that willingness to bear your soul so literally to the world. Right. Yeah. I think... Uh, Mend is one of my favorite jams on the the Reckless record, and I think that one definitely speaks to that vulnerability that you show. I was out of my head as I climbed in your bed, and I thought I found something real. You were asleep, I could feel you breathe. I still love how that made me feel. of anything You will always be everything kind of presenting these tunes in in front of people since you kind of always were doing it in your bedroom or you know in private it, it was it was I, you know i i look back at the first time that i stepped on a stage and i really wasn't that nervous which is a little baffling to me you know i kind of look back um i never really get I never really get that nervous on stage. It's like I know I'm supposed to be there. But I do. It is always in your head. Like, you have to go out there and win these people over. But I didn't do I didn't do a bad job of that. I feel like I, I won them over that, that first time. I, I just remember a lot of people being surprised. They're like, what? You know, I, I don't know what people ex- expected. You know, they had, they had no idea what I was going to sound like or what was about to happen. So, um I look, I look back on that pretty fondly, but my, all my songs have been super confessional. So I think that was another thing that, that people connected with that it were real. Was it uh, cool for you to get to play with the band for those, you know, in those early days and get to be around some people that believed in your tunes or were found it worth putting the energy into the time into playing with you? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I met some folks back then. Um, 
and I, I don't really talk to, to many of them anymore, but you know, like my bass player that I had for a really long time, Ed, I mean, we, we still talk uh, every now and again. And like, he's, he's a really good friend to still have. So I, I made some really good friendships through that. Um, and it was, you know, they, they taught me a lot too. And, uh, you know, I was just I was just a nineteen year old kid that had never played live music at all. So, you know, I really needed that kind of guidance there. And so I'm lucky that I found a group of people that were, you know, honest and and uh, and believed in me. And, and you know, that's something I look back. My bass player, old bass player Eddie, he always would say, "He's like, you know, you're gonna go on and and do something." You know, and that was something that he had always said to me. And so it was nice to have, you know, people that believed in me so early on. Yeah, did you recognize that within yourself per, from a pretty young age or was there any sort of conscious decision for you to chase this down as a career or was this just what you were doing and what you were going to do? I think that, you know, there was a part of me that knew that maybe I was going to do something. I don't think I knew quite what I was going to do with music. Um, and there was always that drive and that desire there, but I think, you know, especially when I was in school, in high school, I think we're seeing more now, uh, a bit of a change, but when I was in high school, almost 10 years ago already, it, it was like, you had, there wasn't any question. It was like, you graduate, you go to college. Like that was kind of where we were at with that. And so it was like, all right, well, I can't go to, I have to get a degree, which now I look back on it and I'm like, no, you don't. And I, you, you got to do what makes you happy. But I think I was in that mindset. So I feel like no matter, even if I knew deep down inside, that's what I wanted to do. I feel like from everyone around me, there was pressure to go to college, to finish that, to have a degree, um, which is fine because I think that definitely paved was part of my journey, you know, that got me here. And I wouldn't have the songs I have or the experiences to, to get me here. Uh, but I think part of me knew I would do it. But the other part of me also was like, all right, well, you can get a, a nine to five and then go play music on the weekends, you know. But then there obviously came a point where it was like, yeah, that's that's not going to happen anymore. Like, it's all or nothing. And I haven't looked back. Yeah, for sure. I think at a certain point, it does have to be that that all or nothing so that you can give it all of your energy. Oh, for sure. What was it like for you when you started playing some solo acoustic gigs since you did kind of start playing with a band? Um, that, now that was, that was a little different for me. Um, you know, stepping out there because when you have a band and you've got these guys with you, it's a little bit easier (laughs) to to go out there having somebody else standing beside of you versus walking out there by yourself and you know it's just you and a guitar it's much more vulnerable i mean if you mess up that's on you right there you know and just you so it was but it was good for me and then now i love it you know i i love both elements of it i think that you know just going out obviously doing a solo acoustic thing uh, is much more different than what a live show with a full band is going to be. But I like both elements. Uh, but it, it, that helped me to be more of a, try to tell 
more stories and, and, and do kind of the behind the songs and stuff like that. Uh, but it was, it was definitely, I can't remember my first show with just me and a guitar, but, uh, I know that I was definitely very nervous about that, which is, which is funny. Cause it's not really, I mean, it is different, but at the same time, it's just, I'm still singing the same songs. Right. Right. I feel you though. There's also like not anybody else standing up there on the stage with you to distract any of the audience's attention. It's all on you and what you're bringing to the table at that point. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I watched this uh, live set of yours from a few months back at the five points music sanctuary and uh, saw you played some acoustic songs during that set. Is it uh, important for you to incorporate some of that when you do have these longer sets and maybe have the opportunity to let the band take a break and play a few tunes on your own. Yeah. And for sure. I mean, we still do that now. If we, you know, have a longer set, the guys will take a little break for a second, step off and I'll play, you know, one or two acoustic songs. Generally it's something that, you know, is newer that I've worked on or, you know, is is a song that I did, you know, with our vinyl sessions or something like that. But it, you know, I do enjoy that aspect of it as well because, you know, that's how I wrote most of these songs is just me and an acoustic guitar. So I think it's important to to stay true to that. And people, there's some people there that like the acoustic stuff more so than, a, you know, a live rock and roll show. So kind of try to do a little bit of both and even it out and, and it goes over well. Right now, there's a man Laying in my bed And I used to call him mine But he feels more like a stranger instead So I went and I died My black hair blonde I know you don't love to talk some some lyrics and just kind of maybe some of the emotional drive behind the the record as a whole and don't cry talks about not being afraid to fall apart so i was curious what has falling apart taught you about yourself yeah i mean i i you know a big thing for me was getting sober uh, four years sober now and that that's that taught me a lot in itself you know a lot of these uh moments that I've been through that I'm like man I don't know that I'm gonna make it out of this and I have and I feel like it's it's been in my you know darkest times 
going through stuff that, that I really realized more about myself. And, you know, I, you can read about stuff like that, you know, that, oh, well, the, you know, the tough times will, you know, make you stronger and stuff like that. And it's like, okay. But, you know, obviously it's true. Uh, I mean, like, I look back at when I wrote The Night is in a horrible place. And then I just see how much that song has actually done and how far I've come from being in that place. So it's it's uh, it's important to me to remember that when I'm going through something, you know, something good always ends up coming out of it, whether I'm getting stronger or, you know, learn something else about myself. And, you know, and now I, and I look at it, too. I'm like, all right, well, if I can if I can write something about this and help somebody else, then, you know. Maybe there was a reason for me experiencing, you know, whatever it is I'm going through at the time. Absolutely. How difficult is it for you to maintain sobriety in an industry in which there's too many hours of the day where it seems appropriate to indulge in something? Yeah, I, you know, I do better on the road not wanting to drink than I do if I was just sitting at home and, and go to a restaurant or something here i feel like it's the more casual times that are a little harder that's like man you know it'd be cool to be able to go out with one of my friends and grab a beer um when i'm out working i don't want any distractions like that so i, I feel like being on the road is a lot easier to not drink for me because you know i got to get up early and you know i have stuff to do so i don't want to i don't want to feel bad um so fortunately that's that's a good part of it and i'm not home very much so (laughs) it's easy to kind of maintain that right now yeah do you attribute the music to being really therapeutic for sobriety as well yeah yeah i mean you know and i'm going out there and i'm singing songs about sobriety and so it'd be really i i remember that too i'm like you've got a lot of people here that are, are sober and you know, they, they look up to you and in that regard. And so it would be really, uh, really weird to to have a drink and then go out there and sing songs about being sober. So, (laughs) so that's good because it reminds me, it's like, you know, I mean, there are always moments where you're like, I could have one drink, but I also know that, no, I cannot have one drink. Yeah. I would imagine that creates like some sort of, uh, next level connection with those those folks out there going through the same thing as well because i think when you encounter and develop a deep and long-lasting relationship with people that have addiction issues it can sort of unlock this next level of empathy you have for the people that are really going through it oh for sure for sure what sparked your sobriety what was kind of that turning point for you where you were done with it um, I had tried to, you know, and, and any time that you're like, man, I don't want to drink. And then you find yourself being like, well, I can't stop. That's kind of, obviously it's an issue. If you want to be able to quit something, you can't, that should be a, a red flag right there. And I was up in New York and I played, I had two shows up there. And the first night that we played, I mean, I, I just, I got, hammered uh i've never been that drunk before i just drank and drank and drank and drank and i had a hangover that didn't really feel like a hangover it was it was just this weird like brick on my chest as weird as that sounds it was and it lasted for like a couple weeks 
And so when I was up there in New York, like the next day after that, I was like, I'm not, I'm not drinking anything anymore. I'm not drinking anymore. And, you know, I think my friends were like, all right, she's not going to drink for a week, a couple days a week. You've just got to hang over. And it just, it, it was like, I went back home and it was just like the thought of even picking up any alcoholic beverage just it just felt uh it, it was just this very bizarre and empty feeling and that's when I realized all right you got to start your sobriety journey and so I you know I, I went and I bought just about every book that I could I picked up <laughs> Russell Brand's book Recovery I uh, started reading and listening to podcasts and I was like, you know what? You were going to learn to like sparkling water. You were going to freaking love it. Here I am, you know, drinking a LaCroix right now. But <laughs> it, it was it was just kind of one of those things that it was just like, I, I'm glad that I had that feeling. And it was a very weird, very scary, bizarre, like, feeling. And I don't know. It very well could have been alcohol poisoning, quite honestly. I don't know what it was. <laughs> But I drank more that day than I'd ever drank. But I, I just felt empty and knowing that, all right, if you don't make some kind of change, like you're just depressed and uh, you're not going to get drinking is not going to take any of that away for you. So that, yeah, that was four years ago. And it, you know, has not been obviously easy. Uh, looking back, you know, it, it sounds easier than what it was for sure you know but it, i mean it's just something that i think with time might even get a little bit harder because it's been so long since i've drank it's kind of hard to remember sometimes why you quit and uh sometimes you wonder well i'm not the same person i was then you know i could probably pick up a drink now and be have one and be okay and that that's that's typically the downfall right there so yeah. Fortunately, I've, I've never given into that and I've just tried to build a really good support system and find some sober friends. And, you know, even my friends that drink encourage me to remain sober. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's good to have those people around. Yeah, for sure. And I would imagine it's helpful just even those books or the podcast getting to hear other people's experiences with the, the hardship of that and how to, oh, yeah. how to tackle it. For sure. When did uh, when did you and Sadler get together for the first time? What do you remember about meeting him, and how did it end up that you guys made this record together? Yeah, um, I, I played a festival, and Sadler, his sound guy, actually caught my set, and you know mentioned me to Sadler, and it was like a couple of days later. I, I got an email from Sadler and it's like, Hey, I looked you up. And, uh, his, it's funny. Cause the song that he mentioned that he listened to first was mend. And, um, he was very drawn to that song. And he was like, I, I love your voice and your writing. You know, would you like to you know get together and write some songs and, and, and chat? And I was like, absolutely. And so it was like a month later, I went out to Nashville and we met and just, you know, instantly clicked uh and 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 i knew that sad was the first person that i'd ever been a co-write with um and it, it came very natural with him um which is why i think we we were able to make the record that we did and so we just kind of set out to all right we're gonna write these songs and we'll put an ep out 
you know, uh, I, I mean, I didn't have any money. And so Sadler was going to, you know, give me the money and we were just going to kind of self-produce this thing and, and put it out there. And um, then as we had made these demos and they started circulating around Nashville, I ended up getting the record deal with 30 Tigers, which led to just putting out a full length album. And um, we finished recording that like a week before we went into lockdown for COVID. Okay. And yeah, so we had it, which was good because we had it done. So then I had to sit on that for over a year, (laughs) which was hell. It felt like, um, and then, you know, of course we, we put it out in March, but you know, everything with Sadler has been super organic, you know, just, we met and we meshed well and, you know, now we've uh, got all these projects going on together, and I, I don't, I, you know, I this none of this would have happened if I wouldn't have met Sadler, and and uh, we, like I said, we work, we work great together. Yeah, as far as the co-writing, when uh, when you're doing that, are you open to lyrics being thrown out, or at least the idea or sentiment? for something to spark an idea or is it more working just on the, the dynamics of the music and the arrangements? Oh yeah. Sadler and I, we, he, he helps with lyrics as well as, you know, the instrumentation on things. Um, so I, you know, I, I'm open, I'm open to everything. If it's going to help be good songs and I need it. And you know, that was a good thing too about meeting Sadler was that, beforehand I, I did need a little more help uh, I would say with kind of mixing songs up and structuring them in a better way uh, than what I was and so he really helped me with that so if, if anything you know meeting him and, and working with him and bouncing ideas off of each other's heads has really helped me to improve as a writer do you feel like he was pretty key in keeping things in context as far as the vibe of the record? Because you did touch so much on, on different dynamics and kind of bleeding into different genres. Was he kind of the one that was able to make all that work together? Oh, yeah. You know, the thing with Sadler, it was, it was like before when I had met with other people to talk to them about doing a record, Every time it was like, well, we we want to do this. We want to make it this. We want to make it this. And it was never. No one ever asked me what I wanted. And when I met with Sadler, that's what he asked. He didn't compare me to anybody. He didn't want to make me something I wasn't, or you know, just play on you know whatever it was I was doing. He he was like, what what do you want to make? And the thing about Sadler is he's a rock and roll guy. You know, I mean, he's he's a big Tom Petty guy. And so, you know, for him that, you know, it was great because he I wasn't like, well, I want to make this huge country album. I was just like, I, I want to kind of make a just a genreless record. I, I want to just go in. And, and so we just agreed we would write these songs and record them how we thought they should be recorded, whatever that meant. Um, whatever sound and that's exactly what we did we didn't set out to be like this has to be a pop song or this has to be a country song we just literally went in there and we're like 
this song feels like it needs this. And that's what we did. And, and I'm really happy that we did that because I don't think we put our, we didn't, we didn't put anything in a box. It was like, whatever we want to try, we're going to try it. And uh, that's, I think that's why we succeeded in making a record that's really hard for people to kind of lock down to one genre. They, they can't really do it. Absolutely. Uh, I think Take Me Away is one of those jams that I think lives in the world of blurring the genre lines. And there's immediately kind of this hit factor to me with those early xylophone hits that, that hit. And there's just so much soul in your delivery of that, head, that chorus. You take off those clothes you wear and hold me here tonight. If I could learn to trust someone, my heart it's like a loaded gun. Tell me it'll be alright. I've been looking for some peace of mind, and with you here, I think it's time. Lay me down on the floor in your kitchen, show my angry heart what I've been. But yeah, just throughout the the entire record, there's just all these little production choices that I think make for some some really great moments, like in Reckless after that bitchin' guitar solo gets thrown down, it transitions into the drum machine vibe and gets a little wavy. Like just those little moments are so great. Paul Ebersold bring to uh, the production and what was it like working with him? Yeah, Paul, Paul's a great dude. Um, Sadler introduced me to Paul and brought him on and uh, he kind of Paul, he, you know, his early stuff that he produced, I mean, he did a lot of stuff with Three Doors Down. He produced, you know, Kryptonite. Um, he worked with Sister Hazel. So he was all into that world. And, uh, I, I really liked that aspect of things, you know, again, bringing somebody in that, that doesn't make country music at all, um, was really great. And he, you know, he came in with the engineering side of stuff and we, you know, I wrote don't cry with Paul. And that was the first song that I ever wrote to a track. Uh, he sent me that because I was like, you know, I, I really like 
instrumental tracks. And he's like, well, I can send you that whenever you want. And so he had sent me Don't Cry, and we sat down and wrote that um, together. And, and uh, so that was kind of, like I said, you know, it was my first step into a completely different world. That opened up a lot for me. I mean, now I'm able to, you know, I work with Universal Publishing, so they'll send me tracks, and I can get on the plane and listen to those in my headphones and, and write and work while I'm on the plane, or I can listen to something while I'm going down the road and write to that. So that's really opened things up for me. Um, so I don't just have to sit there with a guitar, you know, I've, I've got all this other, uh, opportunity to write. Yeah. I'd imagine that kind of develops a, a different muscle as far as the writing too, since you're not like coming up with melodies and lyrics as you're actually writing the instrumentation. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Is it easy for you to lock in and track vocals for records or does it take a lot of setting the vibe in, in the room? No, I mean, I, I think that, you know, it. I think it kind of depends on the day. Um, sometimes you might have to go in there and, and sing a song five or six times, but, you know, uh, it just depends. And then sometimes you can go in there and, and nail it pretty quickly. Uh, it just is all about catching that uh, emotion in the voice and, and then, like, really getting into it. And some days it takes longer to get into it because you're in there in this booth and you can hear yourself breathing. And so, you know, that kind of makes you just a little bit nervous and like, my gosh, are they, are they punking me? Can I really sing? Or is this just like an ongoing joke or something? Um, so it, you know, it takes, takes a minute sometimes to, to really, you know, get into the vibe of it. Was there a track on the record that you brought in that, uh, came out sounding completely different than it's, initial ideas that surprised you in some way um uh, met you came out different to me and I, i'm glad it came out really cool you know that one's kind of trippy and and simple but yet you know there's there's a lot of stuff going on at the same time so that one was was cool to see how it turned out i didn't know what sadler was going to be able to to do with that so instead of just keeping it me and an acoustic guitar you know we added some different elements in there and so that one was different yeah that's uh that's one of my favorites on the record for sure and just a very very cool raw energy to to end the record right so since you made this entire album before quarantine even hit did the did the length of the pandemic and as it continues, give you a lot of time to write new tunes? And is that kind of maybe the advantage of that part of it is that you have a bunch of tunes locked away now to, to follow this thing up? Yeah, I obviously, you know, being stuck at home, I did a lot of writing. Um, and it was it was good for me to be at home for a bit because before the pandemic, you know, I had been on the road a lot. So I hadn't really had a lot of time to write. So being back home, sat down and, and really started working on other stuff. That's, you know, Universal was sending me tracks. So I had a lot of opportunity to like really work on things. So now that, you know, record number one is out, I've, I've already got, you know, stuff saved up for when we're ready to, to put new stuff out. So that always feels good. And are you always writing on a guitar? Um, Sometimes, you know, sometimes I'm writing on a guitar and then, you know, I've, like I said, I've been writing the tracks some too. So kind of back and forth between those two things. And 
just and it's you know I don't I don't have any certain process that I use or whatever it's just kind of like if it comes it comes if it doesn't it doesn't um I'm not gonna just sit there and, and try to push uh to get something yeah do you have just a bunch of voice memos and notes scattered throughout your phone with different li- <laughs> lyric ideas and then just kind of bringing everything together <laughs> Yeah, I do. I do. You know, and I'll do the voice memo thing if I'm if I'm out and about or whatever. You know, I'll be like, all right, you're not going to remember that later. Like, just record that in your phone. And then, you know, hopefully I'll remember to look at it. And, you know, I mean, it's sometimes I'll find something like, a, you know, six months later. It's like, oh, I forgot about that. I could use that. So that's the benefit of technology. Yeah, it's always interesting to see how those things hit you when it's six months later, too, if you forgot about it. Right. Yeah, sometimes I, I'll listen to something, I'll be like, what in the world? That's that's awful. <laughs> no wonder you forgot that existed. But then, you know, there's those rare times where I find something like, damn, that's really good. I'm going to use that. Yeah, and are you still primarily always writing from uh, your own point of view opposed to a character's or someone else you've encountered in your life? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of blend stuff. You know, I used to think oh, I can only write about myself. And then I realized, no, you can write about anything you want to, as long as, you know, like, it's real and it's authentic to me. Um, so, you know, I, I write about the people around me or things that, obviously, you know, I write about things I've experienced. But, you know, you stretch it a little bit. Sometimes I create these characters and stuff in my head. And, you know... I have to remind myself it's okay because I can only experience so much um, heartbreak. So if I need to make some up, that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, uh, I love your record. It's uh, one of my favorite things that has come out this year. I've got my vinyl of it right behind me. It's uh, yeah, just something I've listened to quite a bit of since it came out. And I just think that, you're such a killer songwriter so i'm so stoked to hear more music from you and uh yeah to see what's ahead yeah i appreciate it man thank you i am uh i'm a sucker for the slow jam so i definitely want to play the episode out with met you which we uh talked about previously and uh yeah just the emotion captured on that one is is so good and all the synth stuff really seems to bring it to life with those cool accents on the lyrics especially when it hits that the hallucinations line when everything kind of gets dreamy in the production right right yeah Yeah, i appreciate you giving me your time today and uh thanks for having me i'll put all the links in the episode notes so people can keep up with what you're doing i know you're supposed to be out on tour here pretty soon so that's exciting if all goes as planned yeah (laughs) yes if all goes as planned (laughs) which uh that has not been great as of late but uh i'm just gonna keep hoping hoping for the best (laughs) and hope to see you in in portland oregon here shortly yeah i hope so too man uh we end every episode of the podcast with the guest saying the tagline for the show which is it's a program it means absolutely nothing it's just how my grandfather says the news program so if we could get the morgan wade it's a program. We can properly end this thing. All right. It's a program. 
She nailed it, everybody. That's Morgan Wade. Check out her <laughs> record, Reckless. It's so good. And we are going to play it out with the last track on the record. It's called Met You. That's the Jelly Jams. And we will catch you on the flip side, Portland, or wherever you are listening to this from. I'd write you a love song But I don't know how that feels Tonight I'm numb From a cocktail pill I hallucinate Think I'm touching your skin I'd much rather die Think of the bed that you're in And the streetlights ain't mighty as well Burn hold out Ain't nothing bright as you ever step foot in this godforsaken town So I thought Until I met you We didn't get our books In bed every night Or dance in the kitchen Drunk off of some shitty wine I didn't get that ring there on my hand I didn't get your name In ink all over my skin And the streetlights in my eyes Well, burn hold out Ain't nothing bright as you Ever step foot in this godforsaken town Back then, and it 
just want to give a big shout out to Distro Kid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Can't say thank you enough to Distro Kid for their support of this thing. And make sure you go into the episode notes and find that Distro Kid link to receive 30% off your first year of membership with Distro Kid, making their already affordable prices even cheaper for you. So make sure you take advantage of that. And the link is also in uh, the link in my Instagram bio on the link tree. So you can find it there as well. Big thanks to DistroKid. Stay up, stay tuned.